Welcome to Mosaic Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Mosaic Church, Leeds, based in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information on Mosaic Church, please visit mosaic-church.org.uk. Thank you for listening. When we watch things like a film, it's really key that we think to ourselves, what does this teach us about what God's already doing in the earth and what we know about our Bibles? And today we're doing that by analysing a film called The Hunger Games. Um, It was a couple of years ago, I was reading a friend's blog, and he had sort of listed his summer reading, and on it was the Hunger Games trilogy written by Suzanne Collins. Uh, With the holidays approaching, I bought the first book and made the mistake, the big error, of reading the first chapter. And I was hooked. I was suddenly sucked into a world of Pan Am and the Hunger Games, uh, which are sort of like a cross between Big Brother and Gladiator. If you sort of put those two things together, you have the Hunger Games. It's not the best book I've ever read, um, nor am I a Hunger Games groupie. Um, and uh, I did find myself, however, encouraging other people to read this book. And subsequently, I've read the trilogy twice, once on my own, and then a second time with my eldest son. I was actually pretty late to the party. Um, It was actually released back in September 2008. It spent 100 consecutive weeks in the New York bestsellers list. It's been translated now into about 26 different languages. And there are fan sites, Twitter feeds, and a multi-million pound Hollywood film uh, adaptation that has just, in the last week or so, been released on DVD. The books are far, far better than the film, um, but both have been hugely popular. So just so I know my audience this morning, um, how many of you have seen the film? Wow. And how many of you have read the first book? Wow, pretty popular. How many have read the trilogy? Great. So that's fairly consistent. You read the first book, you do want to read the rest. Okay. Let me explain what the Hunger Games are about, because for those of you that have no idea what I'm talking about at this point in time, we will try and get you up to speed nice and quick. The Hunger Games in itself um, have really captured people's attention because of the way that it's written. It has a driving storyline. It is a proper page turner. And so like me, people have disappeared for days at some points as they read these books and because they just want to keep on reading to the end. But what I'm interested about is why these books and this film and this storyline have moved so many people so deeply. It's like the story gets inside of you and inspires your imagination and somewhat haunts your thoughts. The Hunger Games then tells the story of this lady, Katniss Everdeen. She's played by uh, actress Jennifer Lawrence. And her struggle to survive in a sort of a post-apocalyptic, totalitarian future world called Pan Am. So basically, it's America in the future after a huge war and environmental disaster. The nation of Panem has a capital at its centre and it is surrounded by 12 poorer districts. There was actually a 13th district, but it was supposedly destroyed by the capital after it tried to rebel. And uh, the events that we read about happen 75 years after that 13th district is destroyed. 
Like all totalitarian regimes, um, the capital forcibly controls these 12 districts through fear, through violence, and through enslavement. The capital itself is luxurious, it's wealthy, it's sort of uh, technologically advanced, whereas the districts who supply the needs of the capital are poor and destitute. So in order to assert its dominance over these districts and remind them of the futility of rebellion, which happened 75 years before, the capital selects two children from each of the remaining 12 districts as tributes who will fight to the death in its annual Hunger Games. So this is a televised game show that appears in every home where children hunt and kill each other, and the last child standing wins. How good is that? It's awful. Readers first meet Katniss on Reaping Day. Reaping Day is the day when the children are first selected by lottery, or they volunteer to represent their district. The event is hosted by Effie Trinket, who is like the Davina McCall of the Hunger Games. She's like the host from the capital. And we've got a clip now of the reaping day. So if we could have the lights down and you guys can sit back and watch as we get into the Hunger Games. Fred, it's me again. So Katniss's younger sister, Prim, is chosen. And so Katniss volunteers to take her place. And joining her from District 12 is Peter Malark, the baker's son. And with their mentor, Hamish Abernathy, of the sole District 12 victor from the past games, they are taken to the capital for their makeovers and games training. They're paraded, uh, paraded in front of the capital uh, and potential sponsors who will support them during the games. And as they start to train, uh, they realize, um, or it becomes apparent, that some districts close to the capital have actually trained some children from a young age to compete in the games. These uh, children called careers are killing machines and clearly favorites to succeed. However, as the training progresses, we find out that Katniss's skills as a hunter and as an archer mean she's actually picked out by the games makers as potentially the most dangerous competitor of all. In the games arena itself, Katniss turns out to be as competent as Bear Grylls. So she sets traps and she catches food, she outsmarts opponents and even teams up with the youngest contestant, a little girl called Rue. And the tension in the book and in the film builds and builds as more contestants are killed during the games, including Rue, until only a handful are left, including Katniss and Peter, who has received a near-fatal injury. In a twist of the rules, the game makers decide to allow two players or two of the children to win the game. So Katniss immediately goes and finds Peter, who has confessed his love uh, for her, and she helps him recover, and together, right at the end of the film, they triumph, beating Kato, who was the strongest career. And as they celebrate their win, the game makers add one final twist. 
And what they say is only one contestant can now win the games. So Peter and Katniss take a gamble and threaten to both eat some poisonous berries instead of turning on each other. And the game makers relent and they allow both Peter and Katniss to live, though the capital is furious with Katniss for this subversive act and the trouble that awaits in the second book in the series, which is called Catching Fire, and then the final instalment, which is called Mockingjay, where Katniss and her friends take on the full force of the capital. So there is a fantastic storyline that goes through this trilogy. But why the interest? Why the appeal? Why, like, globally, this has been a massive deal? Why has this story caused such a stir? Well, firstly, I think it's all about the dilemma um, that this story um, raises. The story forces you to ask the question, what would I do if I was in the games? Like, what, like seriously, what would I do in the games? Would I kill other kids? Would I hide? Would I just give up? What skills do I bring to the table in the games? Oh, I'm quite good at chess. You know, you, 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 what, what do you bring? You know, you ask yourselves those questions. What, what skills do I have? And more than that, not only could I survive, but you think, could Katniss survive? The most compelling part of the film, in my mind, is actually watching the games begin. It's an amazing setup. Because each competitor is simultaneously released into the arena. They have no idea what awaits them inside this huge arena, apart from the decision they need to make to go for the weapons and the provisions or to run and hide. The predicament is that all you need to survive and to win has been placed at the centre of the arena, but you risk your life obtaining those things. So you're left wondering, you know, what would I do if I faced this situation? But more importantly, what does Katniss do? Does she go for her bow and arrow? The bow and arrow is the weapon she needs to stay alive. Does she go for it or should she run and escape into the woods? We're going to watch what happens at this point in the film. Just to say this is a 12. So if there, I can't see if there is anyone under the age of 12. Like, close your eyes or leave the room. Okay. So the dilemma is that you intensely want Katniss to win. She's the rebel. She's the one that embodies all the district's hopes for, um, I guess, the, uh, the end to this oppressive, evil world. Surely good will triumph against the odds. So the first massive appeal of this film is the dilemma which it throws up. But secondly, a second reason this story connects is the fact that Panem, the, this place of inequality and injustice, I think really reflects our world. Jennifer Lawrence, who plays Katniss, says the film is like a terrible kind of mirror. This is what our society could be like if we became desensitized to trauma and to each other's pain. You see, The Hunger Games tells a story of a future that doesn't exist yet. But the themes of hunger and violence and poverty do exist right now all over the world. An incredible one in seven 
people go to bed hungry every single night. That is one billion people across our planet do not have enough food in their stomachs. The rising cost of food, changes in climates, corrupt governments and many, many other factors mean that we see hunger crises in some of the poorest communities in the world time and time again. And what's fascinating is in the Hunger Games, the capital, the wealthy capital is totally disconnected from what is happening out there in the districts. Many are sort of unaware or perhaps indifferent to the plight of the districts throughout the rest of the country. For them, everyday life um, remains untainted by hunger and by wanting anything, consuming far more than they need, while so many fight for their lives. And so it begs this question, if the Hunger Games was real, who would be the capital? And the answer is us. And just to push this a little bit further and deeper, Panem not only shows us the, sort of the brokenness that's in our world, but I would want to suggest to you this morning that it reveals the brokenness in our lives. It's not just the districts or Katniss that is um, understanding of injustice and violence. But I would suggest we do too. We suffer. We know pain. We um, often will experience some sort of trauma in our lives, which is our equivalent of the Hunger Games, whether it's death or separation or loneliness or abuse or hurt. The trilogy... It's quite depressing. It's not a Disney film. It's not a Harry Potter which famously ends all is well. It's not like The Wizard of Oz where Katniss can just click her heels together and she's suddenly home as if nothing has happened. We understand the lack of happy endings in real life. The film finishes with 22 dead children, a capital still standing, districts still in poverty, and two 16-year-olds totally devastated and broken from the trauma of the games. Yes, in the film and in the book, there are glimmers of love, glimmers of compassion, glimmers of hope, but all of it is actually outweighed by the evil and suffering and loneliness and ultimately death in the story. What's fascinating is the Bible totally agrees with Suzanne Collins' take on the problem with our lives and the world, but actually, I think, goes a little bit further in, in explaining why the world is like this. Especially in its first book, the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis emphasizes the potential for beauty, uh, especially in nature and relationships. The Bible says that originally God looks at what he has created and says it is good. He looks at humanity and says they are good. And a compliment from God is worth something, don't you think? But the Bible says, despite this perfection that was created, there is a virus in the world. A virus that infects everyone and impacts the world that we live in. And this destroys what was originally designed to be good and perfect. And the Bible very blatantly calls this virus sin. Romans 1 actually describes sin's 
impact on the world. If you have a Bible, just turn to Romans chapter 1. I've got this on the screens as well. We're just going to look at uh, verses 20 to 22. Romans 1, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what he has made so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Well, those verses are saying that we were built for worship. We were built to love. We were built to serve God, but we choose anything but God. And everything goes wrong as a result. Sin explains why some of you and some of our friends want to know God, but they feel distant from him. Sin explains the root problem in our world. Sin explains why there is war, why there is famine, why there is not enough food to go round. Sin explains heartbreak and loss. It's basically selfishness and our lack of love and our lack of faith in God. What is it? The Bible says it's sin. And the thing is, whether or not you agree with the Bible, surely something in us wants to be able to rise above the mess and the chaos. Uh, I think every human being wants to find hope. Everyone wants to find goodness, like uh, something that makes everything else make sense. And I think chiefly why the Hunger Games is so appealing is that it provides two answers to the chaos and brokenness in life. First it gives us a hero, and then it gives us a heroic act. So let's look at the hero first. Surely the hero is Katniss, I hear you cry. She's the one who, out of love, volunteers to take the place of her 12-year-old sister. She's the one who wins the game against incredible odds at great cost to herself. She's the rebel. She's the victor. She is the girl on fire. But no. The real hero in the Hunger Games has got to be Peter. Controversial, maybe. But I think Peter is the hero of the story. He is the boy who loved Katniss from when he was young. He is the one who wants to fight against the capital while Katniss only pouts. He is the one who refuses to kill while Katniss plays along with the capital rules. And he is the one willing to die in order for Katniss to live. There's a telling scene right at the start of the film where they're training for the games. Peter reveals his intention for the games while Katniss is spending all her time fretting and worrying about whether or not she will survive. Peter is in a different place. This is what he says. I only keep wishing I could show the capital that they don't own me, that I'm more than just a piece in their game. If I'm going to die, I still want to be me. Peter wants to truly rebel by not conforming to the rules and through non-violence. He also displays great love and compassion so much that Katniss is constantly ashamed and undone by it. 
And two heroic acts come to mind that Peter performs. The first is actually not very clear in the film, but comes through very, very obviously in the book. What has happened is Katniss and her family have not eaten a, a proper meal for two weeks. They are at their lowest ebb as a family. They've got no money, they've got no food, and they have no hope. In the pouring rain, a weak, starved Katniss finds herself overwhelmed and she is ready to give up. But Peter, who has been watching Katniss, realises that she is desperate and so burns some precious bread. He's the baker's son so that the bread has to be thrown out. Let's watch while Katniss remembers this event. The boy with the bread comes good, at great cost to himself. He selflessly burns the bread so that it would be thrown out to Katniss. He's punished while Katniss is fed, and it keeps her family alive. The second heroic act is actually during the games itself. Peter forms an alliance with the careers and pretends to help them hunt Katniss. However, his intention all along is to protect her. And just as she is about to be caught by the careers, he finds her first and he tells her to run. He tells her to escape. But the careers see this act of kindness and attempt to kill him. Again, his costly sacrifice saves her life. So where, where does that leave us? Well, for Christians in this broken and unjust world, we too have a hero, a true and better Peter, if you like. Just as Peter sacrifices himself for the sake of others, as he sees the hurt and pain in the world and offers healing and has compassion on the hungry and feeds them, so the Bible suggests there is someone who does all those things for all of us, and his name is Jesus Christ. We believe he has saved us from our sins. All that is wrong in us and all that is wrong in our world, he offers a way out, a solution, a way of finding hope, a light when all seems dark. And his heroic act was enduring torture and then death on a wooden cross and then rising from the dead three days later. He doesn't choose to just lay his life down for one person, but he offers his life for all who choose to trust in him. The Bible is very clear. 1 John 4, verses 9 and 10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus is the true hero. And the cross and resurrection stand as his true heroic acts. They reveal how much God loves us. In one sense, Peter's triumph um, is saving Katniss. And Katniss goes on to destroy the capital. But the rewards of Jesus' death and resurrection are so much greater. And I want to end by just giving you three really quickly. Number one, Jesus offers the hope of a different future. No one... Uh, not, the, not like the one in Panem, where simply at the end of the book, one regime is exchanged for another. But Jesus offers a future hope in heaven, where there's no pain, where there is no loss, where evil is banished, and we will live with God and each other for eternity. The first funeral I ever held um, was sadly for a young man who'd been married just two years. 
And as I stood in front of those gathered, his widow was sat in front of me. And I remember right at the start of the funeral, we projected a picture of her husband uh, onto the screen. And um, the sense in the room, I've never known anything like it. It hit her and then it was almost the wave of mourning went through the whole room and um, her parents physically had to hold her to the chair because she was feeling the grief so much. And in sort of those moments, those sort of probably the darkest moments of life, everyone needs hope. Now, the question is this morning, where do you find your hope? President Snow, who is the leader of the government in the capital of Panem, understands the potential of hope. He says this, hope is the only thing stronger than fear. A little hope is effective. A lot of hope is dangerous. A spark is fine as long as it's contained. You know, what I'm telling you today is deeply subversive and life-changing. I'm offering hope in Jesus. It is the power to change your life and your world. A spark that could start a fire. Secondly, Jesus offers true freedom. Not the sort that Katniss seeks. At the end of the final book, after the rebels have overthrown the capital and the war is over... Katniss has a conversation with one of the masterminds behind the rebellion. She surprisingly asks asks him, is he planning for another war? And he responds like this, oh, not now. Now we're in a sweet period where everyone agrees that our recent horrors should never be repeated. But collective thinking is usually short-lived. We're fickle, stupid beings with poor memories and a great gift for self-destruction. This is a defining moment. Katniss has already discovered her personal depravity. She's lost loved ones, and but she, already, she suddenly realizes that the freedom that she thought she had gained and has given everything up for to gain is just a myth, and there's no escape. And the Bible agrees with this assessment. We cannot change our lives on our own. We need someone to do it for us. It's why many of you perhaps should be happy because you have everything you need. But it's like you're still missing something. Jesus offers a freedom from sin that means we can live differently, that we can forgive and we can love and we can actually be used by him to bring healing to this world. And lastly, Jesus offers himself in friendship. Peter loves Katniss, but her love is inconsistent and unpredictable. Whereas Jesus is the true friend we all want and need, who is faithful and trustworthy. There's a wonderful story in John 4, where a woman is desperately hurting. She has a hole that she's trying to fill with lots of things, especially relationships. She's gone through relationship after relationship. And not only have men let her down, but her friends have let her down too. She's been disowned by them. And it looks like she has no hope until she meets Jesus. And Jesus loves her so consistently and so thoroughly. He accepts her so wonderfully. He manages in a moment to fulfill all the needs that she has in her heart and she's been searching for all her life. And it frees her to live differently. And to receive the sort of hope and freedom and friendship that Jesus offers 
You simply need to receive him. You say, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for the way I've contributed to mucking up this world and mucking up the relationship that we could have. And you trust in the person of Jesus. So I want to finish by saying the Hunger Games is depressingly correct in its analysis of our world. It's why when you finish the books, you don't feel fully satisfied. You feel like, there has to be a better end. And according to Suzanne Collins, there is little hope in and of ourselves. But it correctly shows us that we all need a hero and we need a heroic act. As Christians, we present to you Jesus on the cross and then resurrected. And we ask you, if you want to know more about him, the best thing to do is go on a journey of discovery. Uh, we run the intro course, advertised just a little bit earlier. It's six weeks where we focus in on how Jesus brings hope and how Jesus brings friendship and how Jesus brings freedom. All of us have got a hunger that needs satisfying in our souls. We're all in some way living out the hunger games. And Jesus, we propose to you, is exactly what you need. And if you're a Christian here today, this is your chance just to say to him yes again. Now, for you to connect with the fact that we can't save ourselves. And if you're not a Christian, like why not come to him today? Like why delay? If you're in a dilemma right now, do not run and hide and do not fight. Come to Christ. Amen? Do you understand with me? If we could have the band back, we are going to respond in song. But before we do that, let me pray for us. Would you just bow your heads for a moment, please? Thank you, Heavenly Father. There's so much we can learn from culture. Uh, thank you. Everything can be redeemed. And uh, in so many things, we can find a, an echo of who you truly are and what you want to do with this world and with our lives. And we thank you the Hunger Games reminds us of our brokenness and our pain, but it also points to a greater hero in heroic act in the person of Jesus. And we, all of us, this morning, we lift our eyes to Jesus. And uh, as we look upon you, uh, would you meet the deepest longings of our hearts and would you recruit us into your great plan to do that all over the world? Amen. 